1: This week on Meet and 3, we're turning our attention to how the global pandemic is impacting our mental health and how food brings us comfort during these times. I've never understood why people have said I'm brave for solo
0: dining. Food can kind of be a source of solace or it can be a source of excitement or an activity to, to keep you busy. When there's a crisis, typically the restaurant industry is one of the industries that springs into action in terms of being like, "We'll come in, we'll take care of you. Tune in to Meet and 3
1: to learn more about the psychological effects of COVID-19. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, June 17th, 2020. This is the 255th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a wonderful chef and finalist from Bravo's Top Chef, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, which is a takeout experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to speak your truth. Always stand for what you believe in and take pride in who you are and where you came from. Know that your realness and authenticity will not only be recognized and appreciated, but inspiring to others. By standing for our principles, we can be role models and advocates for change and the better good. So let's use our platforms and our voices to make a difference and lead by example with our truth. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really thrilled to have my guest on the show with me. It is Eric Ajepong. He is the chef and co-founder of Pinch and Plate and On the Double, a new restaurant soon to open in Washington DC's Union Market, showcasing the African diaspora. Eric was a finalist on Bravo's Top Chef season 16, where he earned consistent acclaim, introducing viewers to traditional Ghanaian cuisine. And he recently returned as a contestant on Top Chef All Stars season 17. So hi Eric, welcome to the show.
3: Sherry, what's going on? It's good to hear from you. Thank you so much for uh, for having me.
2: Thank you for joining me. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to chat and and hear more too, about. Yeah, yeah, hear more about everything that you're up to and your your background and just how you got into cooking. Um, so why don't we start yeah. with with a little of the history? Like, I I believe you grew up in New York City, um, and is that correct?
3: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I grew up in New York city. Um, I just do have to say though, that PR tip was really, really great. I love that. Speaking your truth, especially right now is so important. Um, uh, so I did love that tip a uh, little tidbit right there, but yeah, New York I'm city. So kid, um, I'm, uh, I'm a first uh, generation American, um, Ghanaian American. My folks came here, uh, to the States in the late eighties and had me, um, and then my younger brothers. So, um, uh, I very much grew in a very traditional West African home, but um, also, you know, a, a regular New York City kid at the same time. Um, so that dichotomy, um, especially uh, for, for my passion and what I fell in love with, was awesome. You know, I was able to not only, you know, eat the foods of, uh, you know, my background and, you know, growing up eating traditional West African food, fufu and jollof and Kenke and, um, and everything in between, but then also having the really cool um, luxury of eating in uh, you know a Puerto Rican neighborhood or um you know a Dominican neighborhood or a West Indies or Caribbean neighborhood. um they were all or Jewish or Italian. they were all around me um in the Bronx. so I was very fortunate in that regard, especially you know now looking back in retrospect
2: yeah, that's I mean that's great. you had that the diversity and then. How did you get into want, like, what inspired you to want to be a chef and go to cooking school?
3: I was really, um, <laughs> I, I always tell the, the, the story, it's kind of a joke now, but I, I grew up watching cartoons and, and cooking shows. I, um, you know, I fell in love watching Julia Childs and Yank Can Cook on PBS, and, and I really just had a, a strong affinity to. Uh, to cooking, I thought it was just cool at a young age, around six or seven, um, really young. And um, my mom also saw that within me, and just thought it was interesting that I was watching little, you know, cooking shows for adults as a kid. And um, she she always encouraged me to to watch alongside her as she cooks in the kitchen. And uh, same thing with you know my other family members. My uncles were great cooks as well. So um, that that really was the the spark I think. And then. Um, I came to that pivotal moment, moment honestly, um, during high school. You had that conversation with your guidance counselor, and um, <laughs> for me, it was like she she asked, "What do you want to do?" And you know, I was kind of told her uh, about my my love for for food and, and culinary arts. And at that point, I figured I wouldn't be a, a professional football player at that moment, so I kind of transitioned into something a little bit more uh, within my feet. I feel like, um, and she she nurtured it, she encouraged it. Um, She transferred me into this really cool vocational school um, during high school. So I would, um, uh, at the nine periods of high school, I would leave for five of them to go out to another uh, location. It was called BOCES and they would um, train students, whether it be, you know, like different technical stuff. So cosmetology, mechanics, uh, culinary arts. um, And that's for me was my first experience in like a professional kitchen. Um, and I loved it. I fell in love with it and, you know, decided to, to pursue it as uh, my bachelor's in, in school and everything else. And kind of all those chips kind of fell from there.
2: Yeah, and you also, beyond a culinary arts and culinary nutrition degree from Johnson & Wales, you, you went on to get an international public health nutrition um, degree. Yeah. Um Which <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't, I think that might be a first for, A guest on my show um it's uh i mean what was was it was it just um what motivated you to to go in that direction with tying in nutrition to to cooking
3: it was um i know it's i don't that this maybe geez two other chefs honestly that i know that have a, a, a degree in public health or anything like that so um, I, I knew when I was going to embark on this, it would also helped me set myself apart from uh, my, my story and, and, and what I'm trying to do. Um, it, it's always kind of come back to me when you know better, you do better. And I was always encouraged to continue learning, um, whether it be from my, my parents or anyone in my family. Um, I came, it was around 2012, early 2012, I came into a really pivotal crossroads, um, As far as my career and um, having the opportunity to go and work for Brian Voltaggio um, um, at Vault Restaurant um, and going to England and studying for my master's degree, Um, so um, I I, I stodged and I worked for a couple of days in the restaurant and and and, you know I was officially offered the job, but I remember um, Brian actually uh, chef calling me. And um, we had a great conversation and he encouraged me to, to follow my heart and follow what I thought was best. And around the same time, I had a cousin that lived in England um, that was studying for uh, her law degree. Um, and she just kind of threw it out there. She's like, how crazy would it be if you came to England and, and study for your master's? And at first I was like, that's silly, why would I do that? And it really just kind of rolled itself into itself and um, it became an idea that got bigger and bigger. and um, I think that time when I had a conversation with Chef Chef Brian, um, again, he encouraged me. um, Although I I had a great opportunity to work with somebody that I really, really admired. Um, And, you know, I had all his books. I I watched him on on Top Chef and and everything in between. But um, I'm I'm very glad, uh, you know, I I made that decision uh, way back when. Because it's kind of crazy now that, uh, you know, a few years later, eight years later or so, um, you know, having the opportunity to compete against him, you know, um, in Top Chef is pretty cool.
2: I know it's like full circle for sure,
3: <laughs> isn't it?
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's pretty, it's very cool. Um, so, so then you started your own business. You started Pinch and Plate um, along with yeah. your wife. Um, is was this? Uh, I mean, was this? Uh, what what motivated that decision? And was it? Were you coming from working in some kitchens prior? Um, or were you doing it simultaneously?
3: Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's funny, I, I got back from England um, and uh, studying for my, once I finished studying and I, I moved back to, to New York and around the same time, my then, my now wife, my then uh, girlfriend, she moved, Janelle, uh, just moved to, to New York from DC, um, just accepting a new job um, with the FDA. And she has uh, always kind of been into uh, interior designing. Um, Her father is a carpenter. Um, Her grandfather is as well. And um, it's just kind of in her blood. So she had bought a home in DC um, at a very young age and um, she needed to furnish it. And she did so herself and, you know, um, blogged it and and really um, created a strong following just by, you know, doing it herself. And um, causing a lot of inspiration for a lot of people. So when she moved there, I didn't know any of this. That was unbeknownst to me when we were dating. Um, but when we did get together, she had asked me to do a uh, dinner for her and her girlfriends um, in New York, and um, she wanted to obviously show off uh, her her culinary boyfriend skills. But um, you know, unbeknownst to me, when I was prepping for the uh, for the for the event for the dinner. Um, I remember leaving the kitchen and turning the corner, and I could see how, like decked out beautifully decked out she she made the table and with the tablescapes and the the candelabras and the flowers and the and it was just gorgeous. Um, so we kind of had a, a eureka moment, um, you know simultaneously. we we thought that, you know, with her skills and my skills, um, kind of pairing it together would be a cool thing and 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 seeing that we can maybe, uh do it mobile um and we came up with the idea and the name pinch and plate She's the pinch the detail and plate comes from me and um really we we ran with it and and, um, we had a lot of fun um you know in new york building our clientele and um you know getting really attention from from a few publications early on which was, was really cool so yeah um it's been awesome it's been awesome we Obviously, everything was happening with COVID and um, prior to that, it's just, it, it got to be a lot as far as just us two um, uh, doing all of the work, um, you know, because we, it's first started off as that dinner party, but then it graduated to like, you know, bigger dinner parties and graduations and milestone birthdays and weddings. And um, so looking into doing like a model where people can come to us rather than us going to them. Um, is what we're focused on right now so yeah um, but it was, it was really cool it was a great experience um, kind of building that and, you know my relationship with my wife now.
2: Yeah and that's great I didn't know that's how the the name came about either um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and were you with your services or the type of food you were doing was it um, you know was it uh, only focusing on West African cuisine or was it across the globe, uh, catering to whatever um, yeah. your clients' tastes were.
3: It was across the globe. Um, I think the it, it first started off as across the globe type thing, and then um, the more people found out about what I can do, and you know what I was doing with um, food of like the West African diaspora, the more it was requested um, during during events and stuff like that. So, uh, but yeah, it was really a, a combination of all things. Honestly, I can mix up. Uh, um do more like classic modern american or um you know uh, anything that's just like west african focused or uh, latin american a lot of the stuff that i was just trained and, and, and comfortable in cooking so yeah
2: yeah i have to ask too because i mean i've been in new york um since 98 so i i was here when you were here but i i didn't mm-hmm. i'm sorry i didn't get to meet you back back then uh but what <laughs> restaurants in new york did you work out i i um I, I probably dined at them.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh man, I was, um, when I got back from Johnson & Wales, I worked in a restaurant um, uh, called Union Market, right in, uh, sorry, it's not called Union, Union Market's in D.C. It was called Nuella um, in near Union Station. Um, or, uh, what is that, what, I forget, I Grand haven't Central? Been in, or in Grand Central? No, Grand- not Grand Central, but Penn Street. Penn Station? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, Oh my gosh, I feel so embarrassed. It's 14th Street, downtown. Union Square. Um, Union Square, there you go. It just slipped me. <laughs> I'm thinking of Union Station here in D.C., and now my wires have crossed. And I've just officially see. lost my New York oh, part. Good. Um No, um, but yeah, I, I, I worked around there um, at a spot called Muella uh, for some time. And then um, I moved over to Marc And I worked uh, in his restaurant for some time right before I moved um and then also Rouj tamat that was over on the uh, the east side oh, yeah. Um, yeah that closed down for some time mm-hmm.
2: I, I was right. I have dined at those places, <laughs> and they're they <laughs> i mean their mark is great, and rougej tamat, what they were you know what they were doing is very very um very really cool. cool yeah, i could see I could see why you have been drawn to work there mm-hmm. um, so. So what led you to audition for a Top Chef or, or who who uh, submitted your resume for you? <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, you know, it's so funny. I, I've always been a fan of the, the, the competition show. I thought it was just brilliant. Um, you know, the first times I, I started watching and, and being – a really just uh, enthusiastic kid in undergrad and culinary school um, and kind of clearing out my schedule to, to watch Top Chef was pretty cool. It was an event for me. Um, So I, I remember telling my, my wife now um, during our first date, our literal first date, um, how big of a fan I was of Top Chef. And um, you know, she had gone and um, encouraged me. She's like, Hey, have you applied? And I was like, no, I don't think I can ever. You know, make it on or anything like that. Um, so she did it for me, <laughs> um, and it, it was it was pretty cool. Um, they were doing like a almost like a nationwide tour, um, going to different cities, um, just trying out different foods from different chefs. Um, and they landed in DC, and I, I cooked for them, and I um, I made them a curry corn bisque um, and some salmon and and cockle clams and some pickled mushrooms um, and they apparently loved it (laughs) Um, and they reached back out um, not too long after but it was crazy this was during actually season 15 Um, I I was on season 16 and um, so this is the Denver season and it was nuts because I had made it all the way to almost like the last round of casting uh, when I found out that the first uh, day of filming was going to be on my wedding day um so needless to say oh wow <laughs> yeah yeah may 21st um 2017 it was it was nuts like we um did our best to try to like maneuver <laughs> and make things happen but um they 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 were like nah we, we can't we can't we can't move to date so um yeah we, we we stayed in contact honestly throughout the year and um uh just great things happen. I, I just kept on building the story I really had towards myself and then started working at Kitchen and Ken um, as well and um, when the next round, season 16 came, um, they announced that they were casting, they reached out to me and really we picked up from, you know, the last where we left off and um, I was just thankful that I was able to have that opportunity again. Oh, wow, I
2: had no idea. That's so cool. Yeah, and I was crazy.
3: thinking,
2: <laughs> I mean, you, I wonder if you've given this thought or i was thinking like i wonder what it would have been like if you were on season 15 and competing know, against yeah. you know those chefs versus 16 and um but that's that's <laughs> really that's really cool that that you got that opportunity and um you know the next season later and i mean what what was your experience like or the biggest takeaways cuz i can't i can't imagine what it's like to to be on that show um It's, it's, I think it's much harder than people, people think.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's, um, you know, I, but I knew that though. I think, um, just, I've been kind of, um, I guess unofficially been studying the show for so long. I just, you know, I've seen so many episodes and kind of know the rigor. Um, and, and it would imagine just even besides what I've noticed on TV, I just had an understanding of, it being difficult, and you know, growing throughout my career and having the opportunities to to come across some chefs that actually went ahead and competed, um, you know, getting some like really valuable intel on you know what to expect and you know um, everything in between. I, I knew I had to brace myself for something um, that was going to be the biggest challenge. I think, um, and it was. So, I think to be honest, Sherry, it was really going in with that mindset that this is going to be very, very, very hard made it very easy for me If that made sense um like i was braced for it i was i was ready to uh i say this all the time i was ready to break down and you know a whole pig with a paring knife if they asked me to like i was ready for the craziest things to be thrown at me um and i think that really kind of that mindset really relinquishing control allowed me to um really just go with whatever flow that they had um and Uh, I think it was a great mentality to be in for my season. Um, And I did really, I I try to go in with the same uh, mentality season 17 as well. Um, um, But it was tough. I mean, regardless of the fact, uh, your mindset and and everything else, you still have to execute. You still have to perform and and put out interesting flavors and tell great stories behind your food. And technique needs to be there. And, you know, um, all of these things are all encompassing. Not to mention that you have a camera right in front of your face. So, um, I mean, it was tough, but it was also uh, one of the most rewarding things I think I've ever done in my life.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it's incredible. I've I've really enjoyed watching you. I it's made me want your food so badly. It seeing what you've cooked, <laughs> you. and 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 you're so natural on camera. You're very, you know, it's it's great to watch you, and you see you make it seem so so easy or you don't we you know i can't with a camera in your face and then all these chefs running around and also from being on all-stars where you're you're competing with people at you know who've been on the show who who are obviously um (laughs) all-stars that's got to be got to be um even even trickier harder um but also then maybe knowing as a, a second season, knowing a little bit about what to expect or, or not to expect.
3: True, yeah, yeah, that was interesting too. I mean, the first time around, it's tough. Um, and thank you, thank you for that. I, the editing, I think, does a great job of making me look good. <laughs> um, no, but the the the, um, the first season, the season sixteen for me was tough. Um, you're new, you're green behind the ears. You don't really know what TV life is like and recording, and um, and then also competing um, was different, but like you mentioned, everyone coming back for All Stars, um, we've either done it the second time or third time around, honestly. Um, so uh, everyone kind of had um, that understanding under their belt, um, knew the rigor, knew what the, you know, the kind of the field and the competition and what life was like outside of the cameras was like. Um, so I think that really played into the. Um, you know, different advantages during different competitions and um, and different challenges and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was it was it's it was a very um, it was harder second time around, for sure. Definitely harder. Uh, the competition itself is, is steeper. Uh, but then the challenges itself were, were crazy. Um, and then not to mention, I think um, what they did a really great job was uh, the, the judges uh, all throughout the season. I remember. Um, St. Marcus Samuelson for like the first competition, the first, like very first episode. I'm like, oh my goodness, like what do we have in store if this is what, you know, we have to feed, um, you know, so just really bringing the, the best palettes uh, across the nation and to the show um, while while still, you know, having Tom as the judge and his palate is remarkable. It was, um, I mean, there's no really, there's not a lot of wool you can pull over the eyes um, of the judges as far as your food is concerned, so um, it's revealing, um, but it is also a, a growing moment too. Um, I don't think I've ever uh, grew um, so quickly and so deeply in my career and um, being around such great chefs, um, that one is pretty cool, but then also being critiqued. Um, and then also listen to other criticisms, you know, um, whether I was in the high, middle or low, um, I always listened and, and, you know, picked up on what the judges liked on everybody's dish and what they didn't like for everybody's dish. And I think that also helped me become a more
2: well-rounded chef. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I've I've always been a fan of Top Chef for for many reasons. But I think their 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 editing, there's the whole way they put the show together, the expertise of of the mm-hmm. judges, and yeah, the diversity bringing people on. Um, um, you know, actually, I was thinking a few weeks ago, I had on um, restaurateur Kevin uh, Bame on my show. Um, oh, oh yeah. Who was one of the judges when you were on? Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great show. It's a great experience, and I think it's it's so nice that you know you got the that visibility of of being a part of it. Um, what are you? What's happening now with on the double? Let's talk a little about
0: yeah.
2: your future restaurant and what's happening in this strange time we're in.
3: It's very strange, indeed. Um, I was very much excited, still am, still very much excited to to open up. uh, My my initial thoughts were to do so um, for the spring. um, And then, like, a week after, literally a week after I announced, um, everything just kind of collapsed. And um, we were, you know, everything that started as the new normal um, kind of began. Um, So uh, it's been interesting, you know. Um, But I am very, very much lucky to, you know, as lucky as I can be, I can say, um, just knowing that uh, some of my colleagues and good friends um, are in more disadvantaged, you know, uh, situations where they actually are opened and um, or were open and have to figure out, you know, what to deal with, you know, fired staff or let go staff and and everything in between. So it is a challenge, but um, I'm still very much looking forward to to opening on the double. It'll be my first public restaurant, um, in Union Market in D.C. And really, um, it, it's the concept is, is celebrating the African diaspora through the lens of a roti shop. Um, I love, love, love roti. And um, the double itself is a Indian Tr- Trinidadian dish um, that is just like a classic street food. And I, I think um, pairing the two, um, understanding the dichotomy between the, um, the West Indies and the Caribbean and the African cultures, um, I thought was always very interesting, um, especially, again, growing up in New York. Um, and, and all of our kind of communities living together as one, uh, so to speak. So um, kind of bridging that and and bringing some some really authentic Caribbean and, and West African diaspora flavors uh, to the shop. I'm very much excited for it. So um, when it comes out and I can actually get back in the market and, um, and open up, I'll be really, really happy to serve people. Um, and yeah, very much look forward to it.
2: I'm looking forward to it too. I um a few years ago, I worked with a restaurant in in Brooklyn called Streets that that showcases mm. foods from around the world. And they had doubles on the menu, and it was the first time I had it. I love and it. I remember sitting down with the with the owner um, who uh for, was from the Caribbean and saying like couldn't believe I had never had this, but like showing me how to eat it, <laughs> and it was so delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, it's, 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 it's like, now I feel I know what I'm craving it, but it's not something I had ever yeah, seen yeah. before, you know?
3: No, I love it. Um, I think that's, what's going to be most exciting too. It's a, it's a very unfamiliar, um, kind of vessel for a lot of food, but it's such a delicious kind of, um, it, uh, it's so, um, customizable. You can throw literally whatever kind of condiment or curry or chutney or, whatever it is that you want, um, you know, that, that tastes good to you. So I'm really excited to have people kind of come in and, and mix up and mash up their own kind of preference and um, and celebrate um, a little bit of a cuisine that they may not be familiar of and, then and, and, you know, be encouraged to go back and, and actually try a traditional one and, um, and everything in between. So I'm really happy for that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for it. What's so? What's the status right now in DC with restaurant openings? I've I've been to Union Market before, yeah. so I I know it's you know like a well, oh, it's a cool. It's hard. To, it's not like yeah. a food hall, but it's kind of it's a market. I don't know. It's more than that.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a little bit in between though. You're right. It's a, it's a little funky. Yeah, that way. Um, it's a food hall. It has markets in there. Um, so it's just a very unique space, but also one of DC's most like. Um, uh, tr- traffic busy, most kinetic energy happening, a lot of tourism, um, a lot of folks that just live in walking distance of the area. It's a very popular um, space out here in the district. So, um, yeah, it's it's been just a wait. I know DC's uh, phase two is supposed to be happening, I believe, tomorrow, um, where they're allowing uh, restaurants to open up capacity, um, I believe, by 50%, um, and, and allowing some other small businesses and um I guess, non-essentials now to, to start opening up for business. So um, I'm hopeful for that. I think, really, I, I can't say necessarily what's going on with the market 1,000%. Uh, I just know that um, just how big it is, um, 50% is still a lot of people to um, to hold in that, that one venue. So um, they're doing the best that they can, um, just speaking with them as often as possible, just knowing that um, safety is first. You know They want to make sure that they keep everyone protected, um, even the folks that are working right now and doing like delivery and takeout, um, they have them in mind to just, um, uh, keep them protected, keep them safe and, and, and really just take all precautionary measures. Um, it's going to be tough though until the vaccine happens though.
2: Yeah, no, totally. I'm thinking the market, they have a big outdoor area too, which is good.
3: Yes. Yeah, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. So
2: yeah, but it's, yeah, it's 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 tough times, um, but I hope and hope you can get o- get open soon and serving your food, and I can get back down to DC. I am too.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that would be a great great reason for you to come down and it. It really try would. And, <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> me
2: too. So before we take a break, let me ask you my question for my last guest. On episode 254, I had on John Weissman. He is the founder of Curious Elixirs, which is a non-alcoholic craft drinks company. And he wants to know, what's the best way to inspire the youth of America to form a connection with their food and where it comes from? How do we create that connection and help foster it?
3: That is a great question. Um, I think it really starts with... Um, with a serious education. I think um, introducing uh, food and food culture at a young age um, in a curriculum base that uh, helps explain um, where we are as a country, who we are as a country, um, the the strides that we've taken to eradicate um, certain things and, and elevate certain things as well. I think um, a great example of that is just what happened today where um, PepsiCo and uh, Quaker decided to um, no longer uh, run or discontinue rather, the Anjamama brand. Um, I grew up looking at Aunt and, you know for, for years and years and years and understanding the, uh, the racial implications behind it, but still knowing it to be um, somewhat of an American kind of classic or staple, um, just offering a strong Americana. And understanding why, you know, um, and I think uh, those things like that and, and understanding um, who we are and, and why certain things are happening, and why certain um, corporations and, um, you know, making the strides that they are, um, you can kind of see it um, all over, um, especially right now. So uh, I think a strong education is, is um, probably the best way to do that. I don't know if that was a long-winded answer, but I hope that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it was a great answer, and um, yeah, it was a good mm-hmm. question. My 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 guests usually ask <laughs> the best questions, so um,
3: that was pretty good one. Awesome. Yeah.
2: Okay, so let's yeah, so let's take a little break, and uh, then we're gonna come back, and we'll play my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. We'll have my solo dining takeout experience, and the final question. This is all in the industry on Heritage
1: Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pick up and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com go slash industry.
2: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Eric Ajapong. He is the chef and owner of Pinch and Plate and On the Double, and he's also a finalist from Bravo's Top Chef Season 16, which was in Kentucky, and a competitor on Bravo's Top Chef All Star Season 17, which was in Los Angeles. So it's time for my speed round game, um, Eric. What this is is I'm going to name a couple of things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or okay. vanilla.
3: All right, bracing myself. I'm ready. All <laughs> right, Let's
2: do it. Born ready. <laughs> Here we go. Eat in or eat out?
3: Uh, eat in.
2: Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne?
3: Oh, a cocktail.
2: All right. How about tasting menu or à la carte?
3: Uh, a tasting menu.
2: Small plates or large plates?
3: Mmm. Small plates.
2: <laughs> it's a long mmm. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I might go back on that one, actually. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, you All know right. what? I'm going to go large plates. I feel like I've been touching that. Large plates. I'll do that. to switch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. I'm like, I love how people take this so seriously. <laughs> I'll hold you to it. Large plates now. Okay, how about communal table or chef's counter?
3: That's so funny. uh communal table. <laughs>
2: It is. It's like, it's like, this is like, you got to,
3: it's very it's like important. You gotta, write, it
2: yeah. really <laughs> is. Really is. Um, tipping or all-inclusive charge?
3: Um, all-inclusive.
2: How about teaching cooking on camera via zoom or cooking in a competition mm. on TV?
3: <laughs> um, oh, geez. I like the Zoom. there's <laughs> not that much pressure. Yeah, not as much pressure.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you're you're doing that a lot now. That's like <laughs> the new normal.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's been the new normal. It has been. It's been awesome, though. Um, I've been I've been teaching classes in New York and D.C. and Baltimore. Um, uh, so now to kind of bring it on a virtual platform and 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 be able to um, not only be like held to the folks that just live in that city. Um, but really, to do a class and and have folks from you know all over the place, I had a class where there was people from um, Saudi Arabia and California and and um, like where where else? It was Ghana. It was really really cool, Sherry. I mean, it was it was awesome. It was mind blowing that so many people across the world wanted to take your time and and cook together. So it's become really really fun, um, and, and I love it.
2: <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I have a few more. Kentucky or Los Angeles.
3: Ooh, LA.
2: <laughs> Cheese plate or dessert?
3: Dessert all day.
2: Dessert all day. And the last one is Manhattan, Brooklyn, or I'll say DC.
3: Uh that's an easy one. I gotta say with Manhattan.
2: Manhattan. Well, glad. But- Good to know, and that's the game. You win. Everyone's a winner.
0: I would. Win.
2: <laughs> um, it's fun. It's fun to hear how people how people get yeah. stuck on certain things, and um, yes, take it seriously. So, um, for industry news, i I picked out an article that was in the New York Times, and the title is "The Quote Unquote Poisoned Shake Shack Milkshakes." and an NYPD on edge claims that fast food workers poisoned officers intentionally proved to be unfounded. But the ensuing uproar underscored a tense new dynamic. And this was by Edgar Sandoval. Um, did you see this piece? And did you did you see this whole thing unfold the other night? Because I was I was watching along, you know, and it became a yeah. huge news story. Go ahead.
3: Um, it, it was, and it was, it was pretty, it was pretty nuts. I think, um, I caught, a, I caught wind of it last night as well. And, um, I, I don't know how to react. I don't think, um, if there is an investigation and I think things remain to be unfounded, um, I think that's a good thing. And hopefully it was just maybe like, a um, maybe like a lapse and, and, you know, mechanical or some sort of equipment error or whatever like that. Um, but I, I truly hope there isn't anyone maliciously um, trying to uh, potentially hurt um, you know anyone because of their profession, I think. Um, obviously, in the times that we're in right now, and and people feeling very sensitive towards racial issues and and, and police tri- treatment and seems seemingly their power um, that they have when it comes to uh, policing uh, black people specifically, um uh they become more sensitive and and hopefully not um re- retaliating in, in, in a way that um can really affect their future in, in the long run so i hope people just think about it if that um, or again i hope it is unfounded but um i really do hope that that's nothing serious um but it is it does um i think ultimately shed a light on um i think what the article is really trying to focus on and um, you know, the, uh, a police officer's kind of plight, um, during these times. And, um, you know, what happens to that police officer when they take their uniform off and, you know, how did they feel then? And, and there's a lot, I think, um, I wish I had all the answers, um, to, to how people feel. And it's very hard to talk in a, uh, monolithically, but, um, people are hurting, people are, are vocalizing that people are emoting, um, and uh, I really, really do hope that there's significant change, um, long-standing change and and people don't quickly forget about these times and because um, we can we tend to be fickle um, with a lot of things, especially with the news and things becoming um, you know the breaking news almost every two seconds and twenty four hour news being huge. So a lot of information' is coming in and out, um, not to mention what's happening you know on social media and, and, and online, but um, with all that said, um, the uh, the feeling that African Americans have and Black people have in general um, is a, a legitimate one towards um, just overall treatment and, and racism. I feel like towards this country, and I think um, just with the unfortunate incidents that's happened in Minnesota, um, it's just been um, it's been trying time, you know, for, for our country. But I'm really hoping some some good comes from from all of this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it 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 has been it has been a, a, a I mean it's been a difficult time period with the pandemic and then and then with with everything yeah. unfolding with the protests and I think this this story or just you know just give what happened. There were three police officers in New York City that um, got some milkshakes at Shake Shack in Lower Manhattan, and um, they were drinking them. They started to Uh, not feel well and they thought there was something toxic in them maybe some bleach and i don't know all of a sudden twitter exploded um with this news and the next day you know it did come out that by the nypd that they said shake shack employees haven't been found of doing any wrongdoing and perhaps it was just some something maybe with their dishwasher or something with i don't know their their protocol that that there was the whatever the shakes came had some some toxic thing in mm-hmm. them i think they're still investigating but um yeah. i don't think i don't think there was any malicious intent at all um and i but it's like as you're saying it's just it's people people are on the edge right now and exactly. um i just it just it was like it was it was just seeing this story and how it got picked up on all the news channels and then also as a, thinking about knowing Shake Shack and knowing, you know, people, you know, knowing Danny Meyer and people behind it and thinking, mm-hmm. wow, mm-hmm. I mean, having a restaurant, having multiple restaurants, I mean, we've talked about this, like, consistency and how things can just, you know, you're right. only as good as your last meal and it's, it's like, exactly. shows how hard it is to, to run a, a restaurant, a, a whole chain. I mean... Um, there were just this this whole, everything just got me thinking about a lot of stuff and I, I do, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, uh, I I think change is necessary for our society and, um, it's been a, it's, it's like, it's a very trying time, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future.
3: I am as well. Yeah, for sure. I am as well.
2: So, um yeah i don't know in new york there's been a lot of protests i think um they're still going on um i've i've been a part of some of them um and it's been very peaceful and it's um good great yeah it's it is it is good so anyways i i i i think the i've also this uh back on this story the police officers are apparently fine there's you know the the which is important. Huh? You know, there wasn't I mean, yeah, I just I'm glad everyone's okay and I hope we can you know, get through this and everything and avoid all these situations and just yeah, try to try to just be be good to each other and um yeah. and um yeah, I don't know. I'm lost for words <laughs> a, a bit
3: no, I mean it. It is. It is. Um, uh, it's. It's hard to navigate through with words. You know, um, we know how we feel, um, and and sometimes uh, words escape when you're 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 you know, caught up with the emotion. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure as you mentioned, being in a protest and and what the emotions felt like over there, and you know, people are are, are very much um, trying to get a point across. You know, uh, people are tired. People are fed up. Uh, people are scared. Um, And people just want to kind of live normal, you know, and I think everyone deserves um, their right to that, that liberty and that freedom um, comfortably, Um, you know, especially if they, um, you know, honestly, if you've done anything wrong, your life shouldn't be taken away anyway, but if you should just walk comfortably um, from fear of um, retribution or retaliation from anyone um, that, that has hate or um, you know, not fearing any cop that might, you know, at least um, seem um, as if they want to do you any harm. So I think, again, just people want to live free. People want to live comfortably. Um, I think these protests are uh, are demonstrating that, you know, very much.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's been, I mean, it's been eye opening for me. And I'm, yeah, I want to be supportive and, um, you know, do do good for everyone we everyone deserves to be treated fairly and equal rights um so absolutely all right so that was that was the news this week um i'm going to share my solo dining experience which is my covid version it's a takeout experience as i've been doing since this pandemic started um and this week it's from contraire so here's the rundown the location, 138 Orchard Street, Lower East Side, New York City. The concept, a fun combination between the owner's two restaurants, Contra and Wild Air, hence the name Contraire, to fight the current the current COVID crisis. And the chefs and owners, who are they? Where, well, it's Jeremiah Stone and Fabian Von Hosk. So why did I take out? Well, because I want to support these two chefs, who I'm friends with, and um, they're super clever and fun, and they're great—they're great chefs. So I knew whatever I got would be delicious. So my experience: um, last Saturday, I was biking around the city as I tend to do these days. Um, on a break, I stopped. I ordered off my phone through their on their website uh, for a pickup. About an hour later, um, I biked over there. are on the Lower East Side, and. Uh, the location is at Contra, where they're doing this Contraire menu. Um, I was warmly greeted, I got my takeout, and I walked up to Tompkins Square Park in the East Village, which was actually quite busy. Um, it was a beautiful day, and there was lots of people out. Um, but I found a, a park bench to sit and eat on, and um, that's where I enjoyed my meal. So what did I get? I had Jerry's Jerk Chicken, which is a barbecue grilled leg with pigeon pea rice and collard greens. And I also got their Dirt Cup, which is hazelnut chocolate pudding, hazelnut praline, and Mm. cocoa crumble. My take, well, chicken was perfectly cooked, super flavorful, nice sides, fairly big portion I would say. Um, It was great. And the dessert was just divine. I mean, Fabian is like a chocolate king. I I will eat his chocolate pudding any day. I would like like to have it for dessert every night. Um, (laughs) It's really good. So um, the ambiance, as I said, it was a lively park um, during this kind of strange time. I mean, most people were wearing masks and social distancing, which is good. Uh, Perfect for enjoying a tasty meal that you may or may not cook yourself Um, their menu has some some things that i certainly don't usually cook myself like tripe and crab congee so maybe next time i'll get those interesting tidbits so contraire has extended their delivery map now to a 12 mile radius so i am now in their zone i wasn't initially when they started um, and Jeremiah and Fabian also launched a, a shop called People's Wine, which is at the New Essex Market. It opened last year, and they're also open for delivery and pickup. Personal fun fact: So I met the chefs um, just from going to their restaurants and going to a lot of the same events that we did that we were over the past few years, um, such as being at Aspen Food and Wine's Classic, where. They were in the Best New Chefs class of 2016. And just a note, this weekend would be, should be, could be the Aspen Food & Wines classic, but they canceled it this year due to the pandemic. So hopefully to get back to that next year. Um, the cost of my meal was $25. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, their website is contraire.net. That's contrai dot N-E-T. There you go contraire
3: <laughs> that sounded great uh, Hazelnut sounded really nice that that dessert
2: yeah it's I, I I honestly I he's a he's a savory chef but he's you know his desserts are, are phenomenal especially every anything That's I've nice. ever had chocolate of his um <laughs> big fan That's great. so yeah <laughs> yeah I was thinking actually when you, we're doing the speed round game you, t- you, you said dessert i'm thinking that's always se- seems like something on on top chef that um challenges the the chefs when <laughs> when you have your dessert challenge
3: you know yeah. i i i kind of favor myself after famia like i said because i always love i always have a, a couple of desserts um i fell in love with making desserts and pastry first before savory so um even though i am a savory chef i can i can whip up a, a nice little dessert or two <laughs>
2: (laughs) yeah well i think for the for for all purposes that's that's great to have that skill set but certainly for top chef Mm -hmm. it is
3: (laughs) oh of course yes oh my goodness
2: (laughs) so okay so it's time for the final question uh my next guest is marissa lippert she is the chef and founder of Nourish Kitchen Table, which was formerly a West Village cafe and is now doing catering and private events. And she's also the chef and founder of Nourish Baby. So Eric, can you please ask a question for Marissa?
3: Huh. Uh, Marissa, what has changed that you would keep um, once we kind of get back to normalcy after COVID is done? Um, I'm wondering if there's anything that um, maybe implement it now that you probably will keep on uh, for the future um, as you continue your business and grow it?
2: That's a great question. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I will I will find out. And yeah, it's interesting mm-hmm. that in this time that people are pivoting and making changes, like what's gonna stick and what's gonna not yeah. go back to whatever, however it was. Exactly. So terrific. Um, Thank you so much for joining me. I am, you know, we met in Philly, which now seems like forever yes. ago.
3: I know. <laughs> and
2: I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really glad that I, I know you now, and I can't wait to have your food, and I can't wait for you to open, and, and you're, you're amazing. So I wish you continued success, and, and um, I'm ready for you to make me a double any day.
3: <laughs> I can't wait sherry as well i know um it's it's been great knowing you and 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 getting to interact and, and speak to you now um on a friendship level, so I'm very much appreciative of our bumping into each other in philly and um even though it seems like so long ago um you know uh once we can kind of get back to everything and normalcy um serving you a double would my 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 pleasure i can't wait so i'm i'm looking forward to it
2: <laughs> awesome well, thank you so much and um all the best to you, and um, yeah, we'll definitely be in touch.
3: All righty, Sherry. Thank you again.
2: Thank you. So my guest today has been Eric Ajapong. He is the chef and owner of Pinch and & Plate and On the Double, and he a, was a finalist on Bravo's Top Chef Season 16 and a competitor on Bravo's Top Chef All-Stars Season 17. You can find him at chefajapong.com and his other website for his restaurant is eatonthedouble.com. You can find me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at all industry. And I also I should shout out Eric your social media handle is Chef Ajapong.
3: Yeah, um, on Instagram it's Chef Eric Ajapong, and then on okay. Twitter it's just Chef Ajapong. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, great. Make sure people follow him. He's doing a lot of Instagram lives. Check them out. And um, speaking of which, I am doing an Instagram Live tomorrow. Um, I'm back June 18th at 3 p.m. I'm gonna be talking with Randy Fisher. He's the president and founding partner of CREAM, which stands for Culinary Related Entertainment and Marketing. Um, He does, he produces all these big events with uh, South Beach Food and Wine Festival and NYC Food and Wine Festival. Um, So I'm excited to talk with him about the future of events uh, Post COVID nineteen, because that's certainly, certainly, changing, and um, yeah, it's gonna, it's should be a good conversation. So if you guys want to tune in tomorrow at three p.m., I'll also save that on IGTV at All Industry. Um, you can check out my Facebook page at All in the Industry for some news. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, dot com, SherryBayer dot com, and in industry dot com. And all of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Um, it's our summer drive at Heritage Radio, and it has been a really tough year for all of us. Um, we're asking for your help now. If you can, if you can donate, if you can become a member, we would greatly appreciate it. We we are a nonprofit and rely on the support of our listeners. So um, you could go to our website at heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate to become a member. And we have these limited edition bandanas that are perfect face coverings. So, and they're, they're cool if you, that's one of, one of the options um, in giving support. So thank you in advance. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang. And thanks again to Eric. I'm Sherry Bayer. Be safe and be well, and thank you for being part of all in the industry. Bye.